Well, hello, Dynamic Church, and hello, everyone who's watching online right now who may be enjoying the rays of the sun during spring break. We miss you. We look forward to worshiping again with you here next week. We are in week two. This is part two of our current series, Jesus is Greater Than. And so we're actually taking a few weeks leading up to Easter to zero in on Jesus, what he accomplished, and who he is today, which changes everything about my life and your life. And I love the fact that we're zeroing in on this now because many of you guys I know leading up to Easter and leading up um, to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday are taking a, a season of, of Lent to uh, pray through and look at the life of Jesus and what he gave and what he accomplished. And so I believe that Hebrews is a great book to stare down because this book truly is about the greatness of who Jesus was and is. This is about his supremacy and his reign and his rule and actually God's word in this book speaks directly into a community of new believers and new followers who in all honesty are are really looking around going wait a minute is is this is this worth it and and really am I going to stick this out with Jesus and so the author of this book who many people uh, would say is unknown uh, the author of this book really proposes this idea of well, fixing your eyes on Jesus is, is greatly worth it because Jesus is greater than anything that you and I will ever experience in our life. But before we get into God's word in Hebrews chapter 3, I want to, to go ahead and, and, and build this conversation because what, what this author is doing is he's playing a little bit of comparison throughout the book of Hebrews. And, and last week we talked about that he comes out of the gate and talks about that Jesus is, is greater than the angels. And he wasn't trying to say the angels aren't, uh, aren't worthy and aren't that great. But he's really saying that, that Jesus is seated and the angels serve. So Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And the thing that we, we talked about last week is there's great comfort in knowing that Jesus is seated. And the imagery I, I, I get there is, is Jesus is, is kicked back and, and he's reigning with dominion and dignity. He, he reigns because he is the son of God. He brings dignity to the power in the seat because of the sacrifice that he made with his life. But, but he's seated, and he's not really that panicked. He's not really um, that worried. He's not really filled with anxiety because he is in control, and he knows that everything is good. And how great is that of a word for my life and yours, right? That, that we live in a culture, and the rhetoric around our lives is what? It's, it's, it's filled with, with fear. And everybody's trying to figure out what tomorrow looks like. And, and we see that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God going, I got it. We're, we're good. And all our worrying tomorrow, some of Jesus' words one time in, in the book of Matthew is like, listen, don't, don't even worry about tomorrow. Like today has troubles of its own, right? And God's going, let me, let me deal with today. I've, I've got this. He's seated at the right hand of God. So week one, we found that Jesus was greater than the angels. Thank you to everyone who spent this week on social media voting. This past week, we, we had the discussion on our Instagram, on Twitter, on our Facebook page. Which is greater? Which is a greater vacation? Uh, a destination to the beach or a vacation to the mountains? And just by a show of hands, I'll let you guys participate as well. Who, who are the mountain goers on vacation in the place? Like, you know what? I don't want any of that crazy beach stuff, the sand, all the problems. So we've got a couple of mountain people, right? And then uh, who, who, are the, who are the beach people in the crowd here of like, yep, nope, give me the water, give me the sun. Yeah, absolutely, vitamin D, right? 
That'll get you good, loving God more. And so the beach absolutely destroyed it one on, um, on uh, social media platforms throughout the week. And so here's the deal. We spend the majority of our life trying to figure out what's greater than. What's greater than? I'm in a season of my life with that with my kids. My oldest son is always comparing things. And, and so he's doing this with numbers now. He's starting to figure out, that, hey, Dad, did you know that, that seven is greater than six? Well, yeah, and he's a little bit disappointed that I knew that. Like, he was wanting to inform me and break some news. Like, yeah, buddy, I, I, I actually, I did know that. It's like, how did you know that? Because I'm a sports fan, and so if my team scores seven points and their team scores six, we won the game, right? That's how Dad knows that. The conversation on the ride in this morning, which kind of blows my mind, I don't really know how to answer this, was, hey, Dad, so what is greater, mammals or reptiles? I don't know. Like, I guess it depends on where you're at. Like, I'm not going to get in the water with a crocodile, right? Like, the crocodile or the alligator is probably going to win that, and so I would give the advantage to the reptile in that situation. But, so there's always these conversations, what is greater? What is greater? And this group of people are faced with this spiritual faith dilemma. They are. This group of people that the author of, of, of Hebrews is writing to, they're, they're going through some things. Anybody here ever just go through some things, you know, where life just kind of takes a couple of turns, and you're like, man, I, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> that's, that's really where these people are at. As a matter of fact, many of them had, had committed to, to following Jesus, putting their faith in Christ. And, and some of them had, had seen Christ, some, some had experienced that or heard or, or, or even heard firsthand accounts of Christ. So they're hearing all these stories. No, 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 I, I think I need to follow him. So the decision that many of them made was, listen, I, I'm going to follow this thing. This is before even Christianity was like a term or a thing. And they're going, ah, there's something to this Jesus. And so many of them took a step back from their, their, their faith, in maybe Judaism, or there's a group of Jewish people going, I'm, I'm going to sign up to follow him. But life happens, curveballs come, right? My life, your life. And it happens with this group of people. Maybe something they, they never anticipated happening. Some of the, some of the governing officials over the, the Jewish religion and some of the leaders actually began to persecute this group of new Christ followers. And so as a matter of fact, th this group of people began to, to face this dilemma. So, so what is greater, Jesus or our former way of walking and believing things? So what are we going to do here? And it wasn't just like, okay, is seven greater than six kind of a conversation. The intensity of what they were facing was this, that, that many were facing deep persecution for their faith, that, that many of them were, were facing the fact that their, their occupation was now on the line. Many of them were facing the ability of, okay, if I follow Jesus, that means that I'm going to be persecuted to such a degree that I may not be able to feed my kids. I may not be able to take care of my family. We may lose our home. The way of living, the way we've known this, is completely shifting and changing. I mean, let's just admit, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot on the line. And they're faced with this decision. So what's greater? And what am I going to do? So in Hebrews, we actually see that some people opt out. They go back to their former way. We see some zero in. And that's exactly 
what this author is trying to communicate. Well, 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 hold on. Let's have a greater than discussion. Let's compare and contrast some things. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. I want to encourage you to, to open a copy of God's Word and follow along. I love God's Word that it tells us that it doesn't return void, which to me says that God accomplishes His purposes He set out for every single time His Word is spoken. And I believe that God wants to speak something unique in your life today. So follow along in a copy of His Word today in the Bible. You can also follow along on your Bible app, you version as well. But I want to pick up reading in verse 1, and we'll see this, this conversation, this comparison and contrasting of Jesus. So it says this, Therefore... Holy brothers and sisters, I want to pause there. He calls them holy because they have been set apart because of their decision to follow Jesus. Who share in this, in this heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. So I'm a pastor, which means that I have to stop and talk a lot. So let's just stop and talk about verse one and everything that's going on. He calls them holy brothers and sisters. In other words, again, they've been set apart because of their faith in Christ. They're set apart not because of what they've accomplished or their sacrifices or any of those things. They are holy because Jesus has made them holy. His sacrifice was the game changer in all of it. And their decision to follow him changed their life. But there's this statement that the author is, is really zeroing in here. He's going, no, I need you to do this. We, we all need to come to this point where we fix our thoughts on Jesus. Later in Hebrews, you'll find that the word of God says to, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith. There's this rhetoric that continues throughout the book of, of zero in on Jesus. And here's, the, here's why we're doing this, because we're going to play a little game called compare and contrast. And he's worthy to be considered in all the chaos that you're experiencing. I believe that to be same, that it's the same thing to be true in our lives today, that, that fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our thoughts on Jesus is a really big deal. Because as we, as we stated before, like life is happening around us. I become distracted in my faith. Like I have spiritual ADD. Anybody else with me on that? I mean, stuff happens. I'm like, oh yeah, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, this thing over here. And I fix my thoughts on that. I begin to be defined by that. I'm like the squirrel trying to cross the road. What, what do I want to do here? Which way am I going to go? And the author's going, no, no, listen. Let's zero in on Jesus for a minute here. Because I think there's something significant that happens when we see him. If you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to write this down. Jesus is greater because he provides a word from God and a way to God. I'll say that again. Jesus is greater because he provides a word from God and a way to God. So we see this, that, that he calls them holy brothers and sisters. Again, they're set apart because of Jesus. And they have this heavenly calling. In other words, there is a word that has come for you, to you, that's designed specifically for you. Jesus brings this heavenly calling. And how big and significant is that? You know what that means? 
that your life may not be quite as random as you think it is. That the things that go on in my life and your life, there actually may be a purpose and a plan behind it. That there's this heavenly calling that's taking place. And so there's this word coming from God. And there's this heavenly calling to God that's going on at the same time. Jesus is greater because he provides a word from God and a way to God. And then he calls Jesus a couple of things here. He calls them the apostle and high priest. So let's talk about this for just a minute. If you're taking notes, it's probably important to understand what an apostle's role is and was. An apostle simply means this. It was one that was bringing a word. And so the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is he's bringing a word. That, that word translates into a delegate or a messenger. He is one who is sent. He is speaking on God's behalf. So he, he's defined as an apostle. He is delivering God's words. The thing that Jesus has said and done, they are truth. We can be rooted and founded in that truth. He's speaking a word. And his words are really, really meaningful. I know there's a lot of conversation, just not in our culture, but around the world when it comes to, to faith, when it comes to spirituality and, and what we're going to place our hope in in our lives here today and after this life. And there are many people who look at the life of Jesus and they're really, really impressed by Jesus. I mean, he has a pretty impressive resume, right? I mean, the miracles that he accomplished, the things he said. Many people love his teachings. I mean, it, I mean he was a peacemaker, right? I mean, there's something very meaningful to his life. But you can't escape the fact that, that Jesus also made statements like he stated in John 14, 6, where he says that I am the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. You, you know what that statement does? It, it, it draws a line in the sand, and Jesus is saying, hey, either you're with me or you're not. Either you're here participating in my kingdom, and my presence is full and thick and prominent in your life, or you're over here. And in me, and only in me, we find the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus all of a sudden defines some things. And he's saying it, it is the only way to the Father. So as an apostle, as a delegate, as a messenger, as one who is sent from God, it's literally God saying, You'll find everything you need to know in him. The sacrifice he made accomplishes everything. This man, who is both man and God, is worth following. So he provides a word from God, a word that divides. And some people will push back there and say, well, but, but here's the thing. Like, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Because what Jesus is saying is, like, either you're with me or not, and if you're not, then you don't have access to God. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Good Friday. And we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you'll find life in me, but I'm going to lay my life down for everybody. So I'm going to speak this word, but I'm also going to back it up. This isn't just like, hey, I like you, I don't like you, I like you, I don't like you. Like, I'm going to surrender 
everything for everyone. And God's word says that we're all without excuse because Jesus gives us an opportunity to God. So one, he's an apostle, and number two, his word defines him as a high priest. In other words, it is a way to God. He is the one God anointed to represent us and God. And let me, let me explain what that means. Because there's, there's two representations that take place. And there's two representations specifically that you'll find in the Old Testament. You have prophets and you have priests. And a prophet's responsibility is to represent God to man. In other words, whenever God wanted to say something, you had this prophet that was communicating, here's what God has to say for you. Here's what God has to say for us. So the role as a messenger, as a communicator, was from God to man. But the role of a priest was to represent man to God. And so what this is saying here is that he's not just a priest, but he's the great high priest, that he is greater than any other priest that all of us know. He's greater than any other priest in our culture. And he's representing us to God. What's that mean for me? What's that mean for you? Here's what this breaks down to mean. That his representation to God the Father is my resume. It's your resume. The things that Jesus accomplished with his life, through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection, they're now my resume. He is my representation. You ever found yourself to kind of get into a bind before and you need somebody to kind of step up and speak on your behalf and kind of vouch for you as a person? Like that, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's approaching God the Father and saying, hey, they're with me. They're good. I've got this. I've got them covered. They belong to me. So he's saying he is an apostle, a word from God. He's the great high priest. He's a way to God. But let me just go a layer further with this great high priest conversation because in many of their former religion, in this Jewish religion, the priest's responsibility was to offer a sacrifice for reconciliation to make things right between them and God. Like, that was the role of the priest. And so what he's saying here is, like, Jesus is greater, not because he's rounding up sheep and goats and making a sacrifice, but because he, he is the sacrifice. As we stated last week, there's this conversation that goes on in our culture, right? Like, who's the goat? Who is the greatest of all time? This is saying Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Not because he's making sacrifices on your behalf, but it's because he is the sacrifice on your and my behalf. So Jesus is greater because he provides a word from God and a way to God. You can say it this way, that Jesus provides a revelation from God and reconciliation to God. But this conversation keeps going on in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2, and it says this, that he was faithful to the one who appointed him, being Jesus was faithful to the Father who appointed him for this purpose, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Okay, here's what's getting ready to happen. This author is getting ready to build this comparison contrast thing between Jesus and Moses. 
Now, that may not seem like as much of a big deal to me. That may not seem like all that big of a deal to you. To this group of people, contextually, that this is written to, that's a, that's a major thing. Why? Because Moses is the father of their faith. He is the founder. He is the guy that everybody is looking to. When it comes within this Judaism or this, this Jewish following here, this Jewish religion, everybody's looking to Moses. Why? Because he was the one responsible for providing God's law, for his commands. He was the one responsible for saying, hey, if, if you want access to God, like, do things this way, make sacrifices, and, and then you'll be in God's good favor in his presence. So everybody's looking to Moses. This author is getting ready to to stir some things up. You ever know some people that kind of just stir stuff up? <laughs> He's getting ready to do that. He's getting ready to, to poke the proverbial stick in the anthill, and, and things are about to get moving and going. Like, it's, it's about to get a little tense for these people. But what's important to understand here is that, that he's not necessarily going like, hey, my dad can beat up your dad, kind of compare and contrast here. Remember that conversation as a kid? Like you'd always hang out in the playground and go, my dad's bigger than yours, and he's stronger than yours, and he's faster, he can beat up your dad. Nobody else ever had those conversations? All right, we'll, we'll get back to that some other time where I'll just deal with that in counseling therapy. So, um, good. So, so comparison and contrasting is, is going on here. But, it, but he's not doing it in a braggatocious kind of a way. He's, he's not doing it in like, Jesus is better than Moses, right? Like, that's not what's happening here. But he's just saying, let's, let's, let's think about some things. And he actually, he actually applauds Moses in verse 2. So you know what? Moses was very, very faithful. Like, he was faithful to his calling. And he was faithful to his appointed purpose. But this comparison and this contrasting here it, it involves who holds greater value. Let's get, what's, what's getting ready to happen? I remember as a kid trying to figure these things out, and, and specifically I did this through baseball cards. I don't know if anybody else was baseball card collecting, but so I guess I'm a little older than some of you here. And, like, that was a big thing for me, right? That was a big thing culturally. Um, I used to buy baseball cards for, like, a quarter, and when they got two bucks a pack, like, I was out. It was done. Like, the, the nasty gum inside the pack just wasn't worth $2 at that point, right? So I had to opt out. That was no longer a good investment. So every week, my dad and I would go to this local baseball card shop in our hometown right beside the ice cream store. So I'd get like this rainbow sherbet ice cream and a pack of baseball cards. Like this is heaven to a kid, right? This is heaven to me. This is what heaven's going to look like. So ice cream in my left hand, baseball cards in my right hand. And I would go home with just such thrill and such excitement rip open the pack, and go through and see what I had. And here's what you would know as a baseball card collector, that not all baseball cards are the same. They all have different value. And so I had this other book called a Beckett book. I don't know if any baseball card followers are, are, are with me here. But what they would do is literally they would list out every single baseball card made by every single brand. And on the back of a baseball card was a sign, an, an identification. There was a number and you would look up the number, you'd look up the player, and it would tell you the value of that card that you hold. And so here's what I began to do. I began to collect these and build these albums. It was like, it was like a manly way of scrapbooking. I don't know how to say it. 
So, so we, I would put these baseball cards in order based on their value. The higher values were in the front of the album, like the ones that were worth a nickel. Well, they just, you know, they barely made the cut. They were in the back of the album. And I would go through and I would, I would rip off these little tiny pieces of paper and write down the value and I'd stuff them in the, into the album in each slot and I knew what the value of each card was. But I began to learn something as a kid. Like I was placing all of the value based on the Beckett, based on the, the market value of what this book said. But then I began to turn over out of interest because I'm a baseball lover and I began to look at the back of the cards. And as you may know or may not know, the back of the cards would detail each baseball player's career. And it would show their performance level measured in statistics, right? And there would be all these numbers listed out about how they performed in batting and all these things. And what I began to learn is that the better backs had better value. In other words, the better resume held better value. The better accomplishment meant it mean, was meaning more, right? Like it, it had significance to it. And so that's what's going on here. He's getting ready to say, Let, let's just turn to the back of the card and let's see and let's measure these accomplishments, these purposes. Because I'll give you the fact that Jesus was faithful to his appointed calling and his purpose and I'll give you the fact that Moses was committed to his appointed purpose and his appointed calling. So now let's flip to the back of the cards. Let's not look at the pictures on the front anymore. Let's flip to the back and see what happens. And so we see that beginning to unfold in verse 3. It says this, that Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Again, stick in the anthill. What, 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 Jesus is greater than Moses? No, that thing. Moses is our guy. Like, he's the one we all grew up talking about. Jesus is like the Babe Ruth of the baseball conversation, right? Or Moses was the Babe Ruth of the, of the baseball conversation. Like, no one's greater than him. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but God is the builder of everything. So let's, let's just stop here. We need, to, we need to have a little more of a conversation to build some con context in what's happen, happening. So, so he's, he's making this comparison, contrasting, flipping in the back of the cards, essentially. He's going, okay, Jesus is greater than Moses. I teach my kids, like the alligator is eating the smaller one, right? Like Jesus is greater than Moses. Why? Because he's a builder Really, I would say he's the architect behind something. He's the one who has the vision, the purpose, the plan. The builder executes the purpose and the plan. So let's say it this way. There's this word that's being used here, and it says house. Maybe you've heard this here before. We talk about each one, reach one. We've used this word oikos. The, the, the Greek word for house here is, is oikos, O-I-K-O-S, kind of like the yogurt you eat. And oikos. So, so what does this mean? So it, it, meant, it means that, that there's, this, there's this family, there's this community, there's this connectivity, there's this network of people 
in these terms, there's this nation of Israel. There's something that holds all of them together. They're oikos. And what he's saying is, is Moses had a responsibility to the oikos, to the house, to the household, to the community. And Jesus had a responsibility to the oikos, to the house, to the household, to the community, the family. But, but the responsibilities weren't the same. And what he's saying here is, is Moses did an outstanding job building. He did a really good job building the family, establishing the family, moving the family, keeping the family together as much as he could because families are hard to keep together, right? There's dysfunction. Let's all admit that. Go back and read the Old Testament. They were really, really dysfunctional. But, but he was doing an outstanding job to the best visibility. And, and this author's going, yay, Moses. But again, not every role is the same. Not every responsibility is the same when it comes to the household. And so what he's saying here is, is Jesus had a different role, a different responsibility. He provided a word. He provided a way to this household. So what's greater, an architect or a builder? In some ways, this word is saying that, that Jesus is the architect. He is the one who, who had the vision for the, the household, for the oikos, for the family, for the nation of Israel. He holds a plan and a purpose. Moses' job was to, to build that up. And so what this author is doing is like, hey guys, like, let's, let's just give Moses a spiritual high five. Yay, Moses, bam. Okay, now we're going to go just a little bit further and look at Jesus. Because Moses actually took the building plans from Jesus. Like Jesus drew them up, then handed them over to Moses and said, okay, here's your role, here's your responsibility. Grab a hammer, grab some nails, grab a saw, grab some wood. We're going to build something here. And I've got this idea. And I've got this purpose. And I've got this plan. Like I, I want to do something. And you know what that something is? Again, Jesus is greater because he provides a word from God and a way to God. So the big architectural conversation, the big architectural plan is that I'm going to speak directly to them and I'm going to do something for them that they can't do for themselves. I'm going to be the apostle. I'm going to be the great high priest. I'm going to offer a sacrifice that they never can fully accomplish on their own. Jesus was the architect. Moses was the builder. And it says this in verse 5 through 6, that Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son of God over the Son of God's house, or Son, of, son over God's house. And we are His house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which... We glory. So you're like, what? What, what, what? What's going on? I want to end here. What he's saying is that Moses was representing God. Moses was kind of building the house. But, but Jesus is over it and fully participates in it. 
So here's what that means, and here's for me, here's what that means for you. Is that Jesus, his plan is deeply personal. Jesus' plan is deeply personal. This author is writing to a culture that they're busily, busily working, trying to earn favor with God. And this author's going, no, no, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Take a breath. He's personal. His plan is personal. His ways are personal. His word is personal. Like, he has you in mind. And here's where this is meaningful, again, for you, for me. Because, again, contextually, he's writing to a group of people that all chaos is breaking loose. It's, it's really coming unglued for them. Their families are at stake. Their occupations are at stake. Their households are at stake. Their lives are at stake here. Everything, everything's on the line. And I love this imagery that the author is using, this household, this oikos, this this, this family that's, there's some glue that's, that's holding it together. There's something about it that, that keeps these people one. And he's saying that, that Jesus, Jesus is the glue. Like Jesus is it. Jesus is over the oikos. Jesus is over the household. Jesus is over the family and he participates in it. So I'll say this, much like the author is saying to this audience, I'll say this to you. With all chaos going on in your life, with everything breaking loose, when things become confusing, when life kind of throws a curveball and you're going, what in the world's going on? I encourage you to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Because he's the apostle. In other words, he brings a word. And he's the great high priest. He provides a way. Brings a word and a way. And I know maybe you walk in here today and maybe you're walk, watching online and, and there is a little bit of spiritual ADD going on in your life and you're distracted, much like these people. You are distracted. I think God uniquely is speaking to you today to go, zero in on me. Trust me. Stick this out to the end. Don't step out of this family. Don't step out of this oikos. Don't leave the house. Don't run away. Stay with me. Why? Because I provide a word and a way. What, what is that thing that you're carrying today? What, what is that, that chaos that's breaking loose that you just need to acknowledge to Jesus? Like, you, you're in control, and God, I'm just I'm letting go of the chaos. God, I want to remain with you. I want to stick this out. I want to trust you. What's that thing? In a minute, I'm going to give you opportunity to respond to that. Give you opportunity just to, to kind of pray, God, this is that chaotic thing that's going on in my life. I have spiritual ADD right now. I scroll across the road. I don't know what I'm doing, which way I'm going. also want to encourage you today, out in the lobby, there's going to be somebody at guest services with blue I love my church shirt. Would you share that with her? Would you share that with our team? Of going, you know what, could you just pray for me? I'm having spiritual ADD right now. There's this chaos that's going on. And we're committing our team to do that today. You've got questions about things, about faith. I want to encourage you to go to that team. Maybe God's made it very, very clear for you today, and your response step is this. 
Maybe your response step is, and Jesus, I, I think I need to trust you. I mean, like, for the first time in my life, I really feel like I just need to go all in and say, man, I need you to hold my life together. I need you to be my savior, my leader, and my God. I want to make no mistake about this. I believe that for some of us in here right now is that moment. That God doesn't have you watching for just some random reason. God didn't bring you here on spring break week and all throughout our community for some random reason. Like, God has a purpose to his word. He's providing a word and a way. All he's looking for you today is go, God, I want to go all in. Here's my life. I'm following you. That's it. That's it. He'll take care of the rest. Maybe that's your response step. Maybe there's a third group here today, and your response step is that person in your oikos, in your network, in your household, in your community, that everything is kind of chaotic and everything's breaking loose, everything's swirling. And God gave you a word today. It's a timely word. It's a timely word to go and, and share with somebody. Maybe you share this message with them. Maybe they go on our website and they can follow along. Or, or maybe you can just sit down over a cup of coffee, over a meal, or, or maybe some time at work during a break and go, you know what, there, man, there's something that was spoken deeply meaningful to me, and I think this will be an encouragement to you. Maybe God right now is just bringing that person to your mind. Everything is breaking loose. There's spiritual ADD. There's this chaotic state. Whatever response step God's calling you to in this moment, would you do that? Let me pray for us.